0: I don't know how you feel on a Sunday evening when you've come here and so grateful that you've come out to be under God's Word, but then you hear the reading and you begin to think to yourself, well, what are we going to make of this? Uh, It seems to be that reading we had about Jesus uh, coming back, but there's a load of stuff in that passage which didn't seem to quite fit in. What's it About, and and could I say you're you're quite right. It's not immediately obvious what Luke, the gospel writer, is getting at here. It, It may well seem, as you're sitting here, that this could be the ideal sermon to just now at this point drift away into a daydream and then come back to the present as soon as the preacher announces the closing song. It's quite a useful division, isn't it? Where uh, at the end of a sermon I may say, now let's, let's just close in prayer. Let's, let's just bow. And you come to and you think, great, you know, I've had a really enjoyable daydream. Let's get back to real life. Because you can't see how on earth what we have in the passage before us is going to connect to the life that you lead during this coming week. How on earth are you going to make those connections? But let's do some Bible study research. Let's get to the heart of our passage and discover that what Jesus is teaching about here, what Sarah read about to us, is radically relevant for the way that I think and the way that I act and radically relevant for my eternal well-being, not just for the next 30, 40, 50 years of life that you may have, but something that actually impacts your eternity that goes on and on. So I'm gonna need your help. And you're gonna need a Bible uh, because we're gonna be looking at how Luke puts together his gospel and the clues that there are in plain sight for all to see. So if you don't have a Bible in front of you, again, could I just say, Stuart, could you be ready? Uh, Just stick your hand up if you don't have a Bible in front of you because you will find it really helpful. I'm going to get you to do some work. Okay, we have some there. Anyone else who, who needs a Bible, just stick your mitt up and that will get, be got to you quickly. But I, I want you to try and work with me in this. Because ancient writers like Luke, they didn't throw their accounts together in some sort of haphazard way. There was a very deliberate and careful structure that they imposed upon their material. They rarely added their own voice or comment to what was written, but they made their points by the way that they positioned various incidents and speeches, by the way that they arranged their material, where they put it, and where they put it alongside other stories. So I want us to see how this works out in the passage that is before us. Now, the whole section that we're looking at, and we're looking at part of this section, but this section begins in chapter 12 and verses 13 to 15, where it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. So that's where this section uh, begins. You'll almost have to take my word for it, I'm afraid. We don't have uh, time to go into it, but you can see if you have the passage in front of you that verse 13 is a very clear break from what's gone before. And we also know that Luke... This writer usually puts his material together in a symmetrical fashion. There is a deliberate pattern imposed by Luke upon the material. So we'll go looking now for a passage that mirrors these opening verses to see where the section ends, if this is how Luke works. So what I'd like you to do is have a scan through Luke chapter 12. And I can tell you, you don't have to go further. You don't have to go into chapter 13. Just have a scan through Luke 12 and see if you come across a passage that deals with divided families because that's how it began, with a divided family. So is there a passage that mirrors that? Just just have a scan through now there in Luke 12. So you're starting from verse 13... And just have a look through and see, is there a, another passage here about divided families? I'll just give you a moment or two to scan through. you need to do some speed reading here. Uh, but just have a scan through. Okay, does anyone want to venture... Where that passage is. What verses mirror? What passage has something about divided families? Yeah. I, in fact, it's verses 49 to 53. So you, you will see that we have here a mirror. A, a deliberate passage, which is about family, division, and judgment, just as we saw at the beginning. So again, this is how Luke operates. So we've got this mirror passage. It gives us a clue that Luke is topping and tailing a particular section. We know everything's going to be now contained within this section. So what we want to do now is have a look at the passages that are contained within this section now what's the next obvious unit so obviously it begins at verse 16 the next unit but where does that end the next obvious unit you're, you're looking for the sense of thought and movements here so where does where is this sort of a, then a little bit of a summary verse where does that section beginning at verse 16 end someone wants to give me a suggestion Sorry, I know this is Sunday evening and you're normally used to just, you'd be able to sit down have those daydreams while someone is preaching, but, but what do you think? I would go a bit earlier than 34, but thank you. 21. It, I, I sound like a bingo caller in a bad day, don't I? But 21, verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So that's the next section. So Now, you can see how this works. That section, verses 16 to 21, deals with using what we have in a wise way. So is there another section that does the same? Is there another section that mirrors this? Just have a look, and in a moment or two, you'll, you can suggest... Some verses to me. So, another section that mirrors using what we have in a wise way. Someone wants to make a suggestion at this point. Did I hear 42? Verses 42, you're quite right. Verses 42 to 48. So again, if you've got it in front of you, just have a look. You'll see it's picking up the same theme. Use what you have wisely. You see how Luke is deliberately doing something here? You think it's maybe haphazard. There is nothing haphazard in the writing of Scripture. There is nothing haphazard in Luke's Gospel in the way that he constructs it together. So we have verses 42 to 48. Um, Now, Let me just see where we are are at. Yep, good. So what is the next obvious unit from verse 22? Let's go back as to this is continuing. Where does this unit end? Again, you're just looking for a little summary sentence that, that draws that unit together that begins in verse 22. What verse do you think that is? Go on, someone venture, a, have a go. Close, but 31. I really appreciate this, Dan, you're, you're a good man. You're great, and for a theology student, you're closer than most of your peers would be. But there we go, verse 31, so we've got 22 to 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So you you see how it's going, so what we've now got to do, again, is to see as Luke constructs it, realizing that this section is about life in the kingdom with implications for the present age, where's its equivalent, where is the mirror passage about life in the kingdom? We're narrowing it down, our choices are getting limited, So, does someone want to suggest? In one sense, you can work out where it ends. It's going to end at verse 41, because we've got the next section, as it were, in the mirroring, beginning at verse 42. But where does that section begin, do you think? 35. Yeah, verse 35. And what we have there is a section dealing with life in the kingdom with its future implications. Do you see? It's genius, the way it's put together. So, what that leaves us with is verses 32 to 34. And when you have a single passage like that, in the middle of a section like this, it sort of acts as a hinge, It usually contains the key themes around which the passage arranges itself. This is the central shaping section. So we've got Luke 12, verses 32 to 34. So here we are. Luke's arranged this so that our attention is drawn to this hinge passage. Do not be afraid, he says, little flock, or Jesus says, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now. Why have we started in this way? Why is this my introduction to what we want to say this evening? Well, firstly, it's to let us see the genius of Scripture and to stimulate us to keep our eyes peeled. When you're reading the Bible, keep your eyes out. See what's going on. Just don't go, verse, verse, verse. I can tick that off. I've done that reading. Scripture is constructed incredibly Brilliantly, you know. If you think our modern writers are clever, could I just say you ain't seen nothing yet when you look back to how these ancient writers constructed uh, this material. So it's there to let us see the genius of Scripture and encourage us to be careful readers when we do come to reading the Bible. But secondly, it is I've, I've done this to help control our interpretation of the passage that we're looking at this evening. That begins from verse 35. See, rather than jump into this passage and suggest that it's all about being ready for the return of Christ, we discover that it's deeper than that. That there's an emphasis upon possessions affecting the way that true Christians live life under King Jesus. The verse that has to colour, the verse that has to flavour our interpretation of the text, whatever metaphor you prefer, is verse 34, that hinge, summary verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It colours the first section that we've got there on the left-hand side. It colours the second section that we're looking at this evening there on the right-hand side. So let's take our three right-hand boxes, because that's what we're looking at this evening, and let's look at each in turn. And I've given them different headings. Number one, possessions challenge our desires. Possessions challenge our desires. Let me read again to you from verse 35. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect him. You see, one danger of possessions is that believers can become so preoccupied with them that we lose sight of what we're about. You see, we're here to serve The Lord, we're here to do the good things that he's prepared for us to do. We're here so that we might point to his glory. We are here to be a living illustration of God's coming kingdom. In other words, we need to live in the light of God's return rather than become so taken up with all this world has to offer and all the security it seems to provide. Now, that's not to say that we neglect the ordinary affairs of life, the jobs we have, the studies we're doing, the neighborhood we live in, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the social media we use, and so on, and so on. But rather, each of these legitimate things must be done in the light of Christ's kingdom we mustn't get so consumed with them that we forget our greater calling and it's as we do these things in a Christ honoring way that God's kingdom is seen and Christ's delightful rule is highlighted this is what it means here in this passage to be ready for Christ's return So I have to ask you, are you living life like that or have your possessions dulled your focus? You know, you go back and you're thinking, I'm going to do this and I'm going to look at that and I'm going to watch that and I'm going to check this account and check these uh, social media accounts and, and it's all done without relevance to how the living God is working and operating and this is the very warning that we find contained in this passage. You see, possessions challenge our desires. Second thing, next section that we come to is this. Possessions determine our rewards. Possessions determine our rewards. Let me read from verse 41, that that, that second section as we're working around. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and who does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows." From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So the lesson emerging here is that we are accountable for all that we do with everything that God has given us. You see, the illustration Jesus uses here is that of a steward in a house who has responsibility for all his master's goods, but who then begins to neglect these responsibilities and forgets how he should be using his privileges. And in graphic language, Jesus tells his hearers that such a steward will be severely judged. And the inference is clear. We've all been given many things by God, both material and Goods and natural gifts. And that ultimately, we're only ever stewards of them. And there's coming an accounting before the true owner for all we've done with all we've been given. Let me say this. If you're here this evening as someone who isn't a follower of Jesus Christ, then realize that for all the measure of life and health and strength that you've been given, for all the natural abilities that you use, for all the privileges that you have of hearing the gospel and being amongst God's people, there is coming an accounting. And let me say to those of us who do claim that Jesus is our Lord, we are accountable for the use that we make of the blessings and gifts that have been lavished upon us. We may not perish eternally, for none can be snatched out of God's hand, but our heavenly rewards will be determined by the use we make of what we've been given. In fact, Jesus goes on to describe the three standards by which we will be held Accountable. He, first of all, he says it's according to our knowledge of God's will. It's there in verse 47. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants, you see, believer will be brought to account for the way that we react to God's word. If God's been showing us things we should or shouldn't be doing, and still we persist in our willful disobedience, then be sure of this. It will have eternal consequences. I'll say more about that in a moment. So it is according to our knowledge of God's will. But then secondly, Jesus says, it will also be according to our gifting. Second part of verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. You see, as believers, we've been given Spiritual gifts to be used for the body of Christ. Along with gifts of time and money and aptitudes. And each is to be used for his glory. And that's you, my Christian friend, my Christian believer, my Christian brother or sister. We've been gifted. And there is going to be an accounting for what we have done with that gifting. The third category is there in the third part of verse 48. And it's according to our responsibilities. For Jesus says, from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. See, as well as giving us gifts, the Lord entrusts us with certain responsibilities. We may here have responsibility for work with children or the elderly or serving as an elder, or a deacon, or a growth group leader, or a yak table leader, or a member of the welcome team, or the catering team. To serve well is to receive great blessing. But to neglect or abuse those responsibilities is to invite that serious accounting. Now, look, I'm aware this isn't something that we preach much upon, the the differing eternal rewards in glory. But the reality is that Scripture is full of references to this, often described as inheriting or ruling over kingdoms. Of course, this may well be picture language, but it points to something actually more real, more substantial and glorious for the obedient believer. My Christian friend, I trust you are aware that there are degrees of reward in glory, in heaven. And that is what is being referred to here. Let me come to the final section that we have. I've called it this, possessions expose our priorities. Possessions expose our priorities. You see, Jesus has just been talking about the great divide between those who are his children, true children, and those who aren't. You see, in verse 37, there's the glorious picture of the rewards for those that are his. Now, this is really quite remarkable. We we may have skimmed over it as we read it, but just think about it. He says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes Truly I tell you, he, that is the master, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at table and will come and wait on them. Do you you see, this is just an incredible picture language of the blessings that are going to be ours in glory. Stunning. Stunning. But in verse 46, we have a picture of the destiny of the unbelieving. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. See, there's no middle ground here. There's no safe place for the agnostic to stand. You're either for Christ or you're against him. As Jesus says in verse 51, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. This is Jesus speaking, I've come to bring division. And it's a division that cuts through even the closest family bonds that we can experience. You see, Jesus says we're not to be categorized primarily by our DNA or our blood group but by whether we are for or against Christ. And as I close, I must address my final words to those here who don't yet belong to Christ, who haven't acknowledged him yet as Lord, who haven't yet been born again by his Spirit, who don't yet know what it means to repent of their rebellion and to trust in Christ alone. You see, yours is not the experience of those who recognize that all they've been given comes from God and that they're to be faithful stewards of those mercies. No, Jesus has described you actually earlier in this section. Let me read to you those verses. We looked at them a fortnight ago. Verses 16 to 21, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain, laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Maybe God says to you, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. My friends, don't let the things of this world Don't let the possessions that you cling to drag you away from the grace that Christ offers. Don't let them drag you to hell. Oh, how we long that you would know the Creator and would live that life of delightful service and joy with our minds fixed upon him, using all that he has given us so kindly for his glory and for his kingdom. Are you his? Are you for him? Because if you're not, then you are against him. And that eternal divide is clear. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for this stunning passage. We realize it does affect us here and now. Father, it affects those of us who know and love you, that we should be those who uh, use all that you've given us for your glory, Father. Forgive us where we become so preoccupied with what we have, our possessions, that it dulls our understanding of who you are and what your kingdom is all about. And Father, we want to pray, I want to pray for those here in this uh, congregation this evening who do not know you as Lord and Saviour yet. Father God, please, may even this evening be the time where they see that you are a good God. You're so gracious, you're kind. You sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, to be our sin bearer there on Calvary's cross. We thank you for... All that Jesus did for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be cleansed of our sin and our shame dealt with and you might give us a new life to live in the light of all that you have done for us. Father, may even this evening be the time that some here will seek you and find you. For your glory and for their good, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing as we close. Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. Let's stand and sing together.